going to speak on God's wisdom today, God's children. We'll put a couple of texts together. I want you to go to Luke chapter 7 with me. going to start in verse 18. I will read two stories out of chapter 7. They both have to do with one another. The first story is the root. The second story is the fruit. Remember that. The first story is the root of God's wisdom. The second story is the fruit of God's wisdom. Stay with me as I explain it to you and how it relates to us being the children of God. Starting in verse 18, if we could pull that up. 18, yeah, my apologies for that. I'll give you a second. We're going to read 18 to 49. Thank you, Jackie. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many peoples of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and and blessed is he who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, Jesus says? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. Let me say it this way. Let me paraphrase verse 35. Yet God's wisdom is justified by all his children. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. 
And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kisses his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who, was in, who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was prophet, he would have known who who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom you canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has not. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. And we thank you, God, that everybody who has ears to hear, everybody whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, everybody who has been born of the Holy Spirit, everyone who has been saved, Father God, is your wisdom. We're your children, Father God. We heard the message of Christ. We turned from our sins. And we came to you. And we thank you, Father God, for everything you've ever done for us. We thank you that every sin, past and present, yes, and even the future, are forgiven through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've taken our past and you have thrown it as far as the east is from the west. You have taken every sin, and you've put it into the sea of forgetfulness. No more would you ever remember us the way we were. From now on, we're all new creations, just like this woman in our story. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Engineering Marvels. Anybody ever watch it on television? See it on a Smithsonian channel? Engineering Marvels. I love that kind of stuff. I'm not realizing, me and, my, me and my wife going to the city, Terry drives up 10th Avenue through the 30s every day just about, and every once in a while I go in with her, and when we get to 36th Street, I absolutely hate it, because there's this big building project going on, it's just one big mess, period. It's always congested, it's always noise, it's traffic, it's potholes, it's nothing but a basic mess, and it's a hassle for every New Yorker that has to go in and out of Manhattan every day. But what's taking place in there is one of the most biggest engineering marvels called the Hudson Yards. Have you heard of that? Well, it's actually on television. When I saw it on television, I stopped complaining about the potholes all the time. It's an absolute feat of human engineering. It's the biggest project that takes place in America ever. Building. Uh, private enterprise. Not by, not by the state or the government. It's huge. And when you're going by it, all you see is noise and fenced in and, and, and a mess everywhere. You don't realize what's taking place on the other side. But when you get these pictures of the fittest product, it's on 28 acres. 
And the 28 acres are actually over a train yard, an operating train yard. They are building the biggest project over an operating train yard as we speak. They didn't slow it down. They didn't stop it. They didn't reroute it. They're building everything while the trains are operating. It's incredible. We have something like that in our story tonight. If you don't know how to pay attention, you can drive by and just see the mess and see the potholes. But when you recognize what's taking place, there's something majestic taking place in our story tonight. And I want to bring us into the heart of this story. For most outsiders, just another loser, just another sinner, just another social outcast showing great affection to Jesus. But those on the inside really know this is God's wisdom. This is the way God operates. And unfortunately, Simon the Pharisee couldn't see it. He did not have eyes to see what God was doing. When you and I understand what God is doing, when you understand what God is up to, your life will never be boring. This, what I see right here, is God's wisdom. To the outsiders, we're a bunch of losers, ex-drunks, ex-alcoholics, ex-womanizers, ex-this, ex-that. And and they look at us like they're singing their songs, and they got their Bible studies, and they're singing their hallelujahs, and they get a giggle out of us. but, But there's something strange. They don't realize what's taking place. Just like Simon could not see what this woman was about. She could not see that God had drawn her to the Son of God. He just saw another sinner. He just saw another mess. I want all Christians to realize we're no mess anymore. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. And you're not here by no accident. You are here by God's engineering majesty and wisdom. You are here. He's constructed your life in such a way that one day you came face to face with someone who told you about Christ and you gave your life to Christ. That was all orchestrated and engineered by God. And the outside world cannot see anything. They just see a mess. Potholes, congestion, noise. That's all they see. But behind the scenes, it's the power of God. We have that in our story tonight. Story tonight is really two stories, but really one. The first story is the messy job of bringing people to God, represented in the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. They could not be two polar opposite preachers. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were total polar opposites in carrying the message of God. The second story is about the fruit of their ministry. This is God's design. This is God's engineering. This is God's final project. God's final product is people in love with the Son. Say it with me. People in love with the Son. Sinners in love with the Son. This is what God is up to. He's taking lives and transforming us. To love Jesus Christ. All God's work. All God's wisdom. All God's power 
is going into opening up someone's heart, receiving Christ, and living a transformed life, not by laws, not by rules, not by regulations, but by a grateful, loving admiration for Jesus, represented by our woman tonight. She represents the church. Let me tell you about the first story that we read. The first story goes to show the arrogance of the religious human heart. Represented by the Pharisees and the religious scholars of Jesus' day. Those who should have known better, but really knew nothing at all. Let me explain something. The first story teaches us that God raised up John the Baptist to go into the wilderness and proclaim the kingdom of God is coming. And many sinful people went out and they were baptized by John the Baptist. And they went out. But guess who didn't go? The religious leaders. As Jesus says, they missed their opportunity from God. That's Simon. They didn't like John. They said he had a demon. He was a strange cat. He ate locusts. He ate honey. And he ran around with nothing but camel hair dress on. With a rope. And that was it. He fasted all the time. He prayed all the time. He read his Bible all the time. He preached all the time. He was, a, he was an eccentric cat crying out in the wilderness. But people were going out. But the religious authorities didn't go. So the next one on the scene is who? Jesus. Jesus is not some strange cat. He's eating and drinking with the... He's going to people. John's the Baptist didn't go to the people. The people went to... Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He went to... He went to the tax collectors. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the down and out. He went to the social mystery. He went to the highways. He went to the byways. He brought the message. He brought the healing power of God and the message of salvation to people. And they didn't like that either. They didn't like John's way. They didn't like Jesus' way. They call one has a demon, the other one's just a glutton. So we get this little story about this. We sang a song to you, didn't dance. We sang a dirge, you didn't, you didn't weep. Meaning like when we sung under John's ministry, it was like a dirge. You should have been weeping, but you didn't weep over your sins. And Jesus comes and he's come singing a song of salvation. And you should be dancing because your sins are forgiven, but you're not. What do I have to do to get into your heart, God is saying? And this brings us to our wonderful second story. The second story goes to show the fruit of God's wisdom by making children out of sinners. Let's go to Luke 36, 736. Can you pull that up, Bill? Verse 36 says this. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. A Pharisee named Simon, who was more of a critic of Jesus than he was a disciple. He wasn't investigating. He wasn't trying to find out more. In his heart, he already judged Christ. But he's inviting him over anyway. 
invite Jesus over, which was really customary for people to do in the ancient times. If there was a traveling rabbi coming through a town, the religious leaders would invite that person in to have supper with them. And another customary thing to do was, was that the people in the town, when they heard there was a rabbi coming, they would come and they would want to hear what he had to say. And if there was any food left over, it was customary that you would give it to the townspeople. That's why the woman is there. Jesus knew this man needed him much more than the woman. But Simon the Pharisee couldn't see it. The woman saw it because she heard John the Baptist preach. Let me explain something to you. The woman wasn't forgiven there. She was already forgiven under John the Baptist's ministry. And why she was so grateful. Because when Jesus gave that wonderful acknowledgement and gave John the Baptist the right hand of fellowship, it said the tax collectors and the sinners cried out the justice of God. What they said was this. It's true. John's message is true. The prophet who's raising the dead just confirmed the message. This woman's heart was leaping. It was leaping. She was forgiven. And verse 37 says this, Behold, a woman of the city. I will paraphrase a little bit, okay? And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment to show her gratitude. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. What was also customary was that when a local townspeople knew, as I said, the traveling rabbi was coming in, they would all come. But the plot twist here, the law-abiding townspeople would come out. Not a known sinful woman. What is she doing there? She doesn't belong there. The law-abiding, synagogue-going, festival-keeping, dietary-keeping Jews, they would come. Not somebody far away from God. Why is she showing up to the party? She doesn't belong there. And this sinful woman, she don't even, we don't know what her sins are. Luke deliberately doesn't tell us. It's obscure. Let's leave it like that. She represents all of us. She never says a word. Think about it. Never says a word. But her actions speak louder than words could ever express. Sometimes you just can't, don't have the words to tell Christ how much you love him for what he has done. She doesn't stop showing her grat- grateful expression to Jesus. Somehow, somewhere, she was touched by God. And she was going to let Jesus Christ know she was touched by God. And with unwavering attention, 
She shows her love to Jesus. She was not forgiven at the table. She was already forgiven. She already put faith in the message of John the Baptist. Or maybe she heard Jesus preaching and she put faith in that. But this woman was forgiven. And this is the wisdom of God that the Pharisees could not see. The religious people could not see what God was up to. Many people today cannot see. I want to encourage every Christian here. Do you really want to enjoy God? Do you really want to enjoy your life? Understand the way God operates. Understand the way God works. Watch how God draws people to his son. Sit back and marvel when a sinner comes to salvation. All the angels in heaven rejoice over one person, one sinner that repents. But Christians sometimes are just numb to the fact that God's at work drawing people, calling people, touching people's lives. When you understand this, you will love the Christian church. People come to church, they come to church, you know why? Because it's a duty. How many people here today out of a duty? Come on, I'll call you out. How many people, you know, I haven't been there in three weeks, let me get to church, so I haven't done that. And we can all fall into that, we've got to be careful of that. Take a look around you. This is God's wisdom. We all have a story. Get to know people. Get to know people and how God has drawn them to his son. Marvel at this. This is a work of engineering marvel that the world cannot comprehend. Listen to somebody when they tell you, there's stories I, I know here, um, first-hand people have told me how they come to Christ. It'll blow your mind how some people come to Jesus. But they come. Because God makes sure they come. And it might be messy. And everybody else might laugh at the John the Baptist preaching or Jesus preaching or sonship's preaching and might think we're just a bunch of quirks and a bunch of religious nuts. But it's God's wisdom. And I want you to enjoy it. It's God's good pleasure to give us the keys to the kingdom. Enjoy what God is doing. Enjoy it. Get to know other Christians. Hear what they say. Hear how what God has done in their life. Cross-pollinate each other on the grace of God in your life. Encourage one another on how God has drawn you. Listen to other people when they talk to you about what God has done in their life. Simon didn't see any of it. He's missing the whole thing. He's only caught up in the do's and the don'ts of the Mosaic law. He was a Pharisee. A self-confessed Pharisee was a man that separated himself from society and was only totally committed to keeping the law of God. Pharisee means separated one. He was separated. He chose to separate himself and do the will of God and the law of Moses. But at the same time, he saw nothing of what God was doing. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Hmm, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who it was and what sort of woman this is that was touching him, for she is a sinner. Well, the law in Leviticus taught clearly, if you got touched by a sinful person, you were contaminated. So what the Pharisee is saying, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know who she was and would have let her touch him. Never mind, kiss his feet, 
cry over his feet, wash his feet with a hair. You see, the Pharisee Simon is the perfect expression of a self-righteous heart. Two years. Perfect expression of a self-righteous heart. He judged both Jesus and the woman in one thought, by one action. That's what the self-righteous does. They see one thing, judge, jury, hangman, all at once. That's the self-righteous heart. They see one thing, they hear one thing, they, they, that's it. He has got her, and he's got Jesus all summed up nice and neat. He's not a prophet, and she's just a sinner. That's all the self-righteous heart needs, you know. All the self-righteous heart needs is a little bit of what might look like it's evidence. And then comes the verdict. That's what religion does. Any religion that doesn't reveal to someone they're a sinful person is no religion at all. In his mind, he has analyzed enough to realize that Jesus, without a doubt, is a false prophet, no matter how many people he's healed, no matter how many blind people can see, no matter if the dead was just raised in the same chapter, makes no difference. And of course, she doesn't know how to repent because she's just a sinner. This is what the self-righteous mind does. Verses 40 to 43. Let's listen to how Jesus handles this. And Jesus answering said to him, remember something. This was all in his mind. Jesus is answering a question he never asked. It proves he's a prophet. This is what he's doing. Listen to this. And Jesus answering to him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. He gives him a little parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's about a day's wage. And another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Understand that Jesus is always on his game. Always on his game. He perceives Simon's self-righteous heart and gives an answer by way of a parable to a question he never asked verbally. It proves he's a prophet. This is classic Jesus. Always cool, always calm, always collective, and always getting to the heart of the matter. Always. He allows Simon to entrap himself. He allows Simon to give a clear answer. It's a good answer. It's the right answer. Simon at this point probably feels pretty good about himself. Not bad. Everything's going well. Or is it? The self-righteous are always quick to judge others and quicker to praise themselves. You can rest assured Simon's feeling pretty good at this part of the conversation. But Listen to Luke 44 to 47. Then turning towards the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, with the bait taken by one gigantic self-righteous swallow by Simon, Jesus reels in his fish. Simon still thinks he's doing pretty good here. He doesn't understand the little parable yet. See, you understand something. What was customary in Simon's day was to, when a guest came over, you gave them water for their feet. You gave them oil for their head. You prepared them to come into your house and sit down and fellowship. Simon did nothing of that. Because Simon didn't really care about Jesus. He was going through the motions. Remember, he's a, he's a critic. He's not a friend. He's a foe. Simon's little religious world is rocked. It's all coming down on him now. He thought he had the answer. He thought he knew he wasn't a prophet. He knew this woman was a sinner. He gave the right answer. It's all going well. And Jesus looks right at him and points right to his heart. This is preaching at its best. Good preaching doesn't always come with a proclamation you're wrong. Good preaching allows you to enter into the teaching and give a self-evaluation. Simon's getting the point. Everything he was supposed to do, he did nothing. But the sinner, the outcast, did everything he was supposed to do. God's wisdom is vindicated. John the Baptist came, preached an eccentric message of fire and brimstone. Christ came preaching a message of grace and salvation. The Pharisees couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear God's wisdom. God was calling them, couldn't hear it. They missed the day of God's visitation. The sinners heard it and responded to it. And they responded in such a way, nothing was going to stop this woman from crashing the party and showing her affection for her Savior. Nothing was going to stop. That's Christianity. I remember when I got saved, coming out of a Roman Catholic church and Roman Catholic background and, you know, going through the mass and going through the sacraments and going through grammar school and going through all these things. And, you know, and you're part of this institution, you're part of something much bigger than yourself. And there's hats and there's confessionals and there's prayers and there's incense and there's there's all this stuff going on. and, And it looks like it has to be God. But for this Catholic, I saw no love of Christ. It wasn't until I came into a small little born-again church where the tears were flying and people were praising Christ and they were loving Christ and they were enjoying God and they were fellowshipping with one another 
and the tears were flying and the joy was flying. And I said, surely God has to be in this place. The religious people miss it all the time. They miss it. This man's religious world was rocked. He's called out on the carpet. There were many people sitting at the table. Remember the last verse 49? And when the people heard, who is this man that can forgive sins? They heard the parable. They saw the illustration. They saw the woman there. And he rebukes the owner of the house. All the big shots from the synagogue were there. All the big shots were the town from there. They got a front row seat to Simon's rebuke. This is how Jesus does it. I love when people ask me questions about God when it's a crowd. Don't ever get uptight. Don't ever get uncomfortable. Be cool, calm, and collective like Jesus was. And when you do it, don't speak to just the person who asks you a question. Speak it to everybody. Because you just got a captured audience. Let them know what Christ has done for you. Because you don't know who's going to be in that crowd that needs to hear what God has done and what God is doing. Don't ever shy down from an invitation. Jesus took the invitation to Simon's house. He did not need to go. He knew already Simon wanted nothing to do with him. It wasn't just a good gesture. Jesus knew there was an audience. There's always an audience. Listen to this. He said to her, 48 to 50. Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Basically what they're saying is he has to be more than a prophet. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And he said to the woman, your faith, not your love for me, She wasn't forgiven because she loved Christ. She loved Christ because she was forgiven. She heard the message. Either Christ or John the Baptist, sometimes, someplace in the past, she heard the message, she received the message. It was confirmed in her heart. She had to see Christ. She had to show her affection. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus gives the grand announcement now. Something this Simon might never hear. Your sins are forgiven. Let me stop right there, Christian man, Christian woman. If you never hear anything else from God... All you ever want to hear. There's two things Christ is going to say at the judgment. Your sins are forgiven, or I never knew you. Depart from me. There are no greater words God could ever tell a person. 
than that your sins are forgiven. You know, at times like this, I have to remind the church, because we're all caught up in things. We're all waiting on God. We all got things on God. We, we, all got, we, all, we go through life. Life is hard. And God's walking there with us. He's there with the details of our life. God is a caring God. He is there. He is there. He is there. He is your father. And if you need bread, he's not going to give you a stone. But the greatest gift that God could ever do, the greatest gift God could ever give, is blessed is the man and the woman whose sins are forgiven, whose transgression God does not hold against them. There is no greater blessing. There is no greater news. If you want to enjoy tomorrow, enjoy this. Your sins are forgiven. Take it to heart. There are no greater words Jesus can tell because there's no other words that will do. Those at the table are left to themselves to figure it out. Who is this? Is he a prophet? Or is he more than the prophet? This woman, I personally believe, figured it out when she heard about Jesus through John's ministry. This woman figured out she accepted God's purposes for herself. The Pharisees did it. There's something about God being, I read, close to the brokenhearted. When our self-inflicted sins bring us to a place of just plain brokenness and contriteness, God is right there. This woman, whatever her sins were, she had enough. And guess who was there with the good news? She heard the purpose of God. All Christians, when you become a Christian, guess what? You heard and accepted the purpose of God. She heard, she repented, she believed, and she was forgiven. Everyone else at the table missed it. Let me just close with some application. It is so easy to moralize this lesson. You can take this story and moralize it. You know what that means? That means who are you? Are you the Christian that loves God a lot? Or are you just a Christian that loves God a little? Luke is not talking about those who do and those who don't. It has nothing to do with Christianity. All Christians love God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16. If you have no love for the Lord... Let him be accursed. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Every Christian loves Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not an option. It's a work. Everyone's a great sinner. The longer we're saved, the more we learn about ourselves. As a matter of fact, we should have a greater zeal after 30 years of salvation than you did after three months of salvation. And most Christians I know really do. The longer we're in the body of Christ, the longer we're close to the Lord, the more we realize what Christ has done for us. You know more today than when you first believed. I was in the gym the other day. I was in the gym today, and I'm blessed. 
I go in there and, and, and I see Brother Artie and my sister-in-law and Phil and Joe and, and a bunch of other people. I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the wisdom of God. The world is going around and everybody's working out in their little lives and their little worlds and their little kingdoms. And they're like Simon. They're not seeing the visitation of God. Yeah. And they all think we're just running around with a bunch of knuckleheads. They don't realize we are God's children. We are God's engineering project. And we will last forever. Forever. It's easy to moralize this. But that is not the message. The message is this woman is a child of God. This, she's forgiven. She's set free. She's, she's changed. She's a new creation. She's a co-heir with Christ. This woman who is a social misfit to the whole community and still a social misfit to the whole community and even to the religious leaders that would not give her the time of day is now a co-heir with Jesus Christ. We're just a bunch of losers to the world outside. Oh, you go to that church. Oh, you're reading the Bible. They don't know. You are the fruit of all God's engineering wisdom. Everything God has done since the garden is put here on display. You are the trophies of God. That woman was closer to God than Simon could ever be. And he never knew it. Man. She represents the fruit of God's wisdom. Do you know what preaching is to the world? What the Apostle Paul says, what I'm doing right now, what we do on Thursday, what we do on Saturday with the women, what we do on men. You know what the world says? It's the foolishness. Preaching Christ is foolishness to the world. Sometimes preaching sounds like a death song to some people. And they can't read, they can't mourn over their sins. Other times the preaching sounds like a great party and they don't know how to come in and dance. They don't know how to ask Christ for forgiveness. Some people, no matter what you preach to them, how you preach to them, how many times you preach to them, they don't listen. You can dress it up any way you want, but they won't listen. They won't come. But Paul says this to those who are saved. It's a sweet fragrance. Jesus was a sweet fragrance to this woman. Proven by the alabaster jar of a sweet perfume. Not just olive oil. Coarsely perfume. She gave her best. But those who are lost, preaching is the smell of death. They hate it. I can simply say, how's your love for the Lord? Love for the Lord is a reflection on what we know Christ has done for us. When you belong to the Christian church, when you are a Christian, and you sit on the Christian ministry and Christian preaching, Christian teaching for years, what happens, God slowly reveals to us just how wonderful Christ is. And the higher we see how wonderful Christ is, the more we see what we're not. It's called, he increases, we decrease. We start to see just how majestic Christ is. It could take a Christian many years before they shed one tear over their sin. 
You might be Christians here, you're genuine Christians, but you never came to a place of crying over your sin. Please hear me. You will. God will make sure that one day you come and you see, you say, God, what have I done? Remember this story. Remember when you have those tears of what Christ has done. Remember, it is worship to God. It's worship. Repentance is worship to God. Father, we thank you. We just thank you so very much for everything you've done for us, God. We all know we have sinned much against you, God. And we're all on a learning curve, Father. At the right time, in the right places, you reveal exactly what you did for us on the cross that day. As you open up our heart and our mind, and we take a good look on the inside, and we realize we were never truly the people we thought we were. And you accepted us anyway. You've forgiven us anyway. You choose to love us anyway. That you're never going to leave us nor forsake us. You can't love us anymore, nor can you love us any less. You've given us all, Father God. You have given all of it to us. Every ounce of your love is given to us. And you've demonstrated it while we were still yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. I thank you, Father, for this story. Help us, Father God, to grow in our love for Christ. That's my pastor's prayer, God, for this church. Help Sonship Ministries grow in our love for Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to share our affections for Christ unashamed. Help us to share our testimony about what Christ has done unashamed or afraid, Father God. One of the best sermons we could ever have, God, we just saw from this woman. What a great sermon of a devotion to you, Father, to what Christ has done. Help us in our own life, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, We're going to get prepared for uh, communion. And it might be a good time to reflect as we participate in communion of what God has done for us. things I think about when I'm taking communion is how I came into a church 29 years ago and never left. That God opened up my heart and opened up my mind to realize I needed mercy in my life. And I can only imagine where I would be if it wasn't for Christ. So please take a moment. Let the gratitude fly. Take a moment. Really think what Jesus has done for you. And then we'll participate.